Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, she is the mother of Corey Robertson, wife of Willie of Duck Dynasty, meaning that Chris Howard is the grandmother to a number of Robertson children. You'll be hearing some of her comments about the God-given role of grandparents. Then, their story was featured in the TLC television series Rattled, Allie Taylor faced the struggles of cancer, infertility resulting from her treatment, and then her giving birth to one baby girl and adopting two more. You'll be hearing from Allie and her husband Josh relating from their amazing story. Then Susie Davis highlights important aspects of the mother-daughter relationship and explores how women can mentor young ladies in order to pass on God's truth. And coming up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in California, it's actress and author Sherry Rigby discussing matters of identity that she explores in her book. She also previewed her role in the latest Kendrick Brothers film. Plus, from Family Research Council, Mary Beth Waddell provides analysis and commentary regarding the so-called Equality Act under consideration in Congress that would alter civil rights law to provide special considerations for people based on sexual orientation and gender identity and pose a threat to religious freedom. Finally, from NRB, it's Patty Garibay, the founder of American Heritage Girls, which is built on a Christian worldview foundation. She shared about different aspects of the organization, which features character development and a variety of activities. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Chris Howard has 14 grandchildren and one great-grandchild. Some of those grandkids are part of the cast of Duck Dynasty, including Sadie and John Luke Robertson. Her daughter is Corey Robertson. Chris has written a book called Rockstar Grandparent, How You Can Lead the Way, Light the Road, and Launch a Legacy. Recently in a conversation with me, she shared insight about the role of grandparents and how they can be instrumental in sharing Christian faith principles. Here now is Chris Howard. Well, the most number one thing that every child needs from their grandparents is just that unconditional love. I I tell a story of my Maddox when he was, he's 17 now, but he was about five and he was over at the house. He was on my couch and where he loves to be. He was here this weekend at 17. It was sitting in his very same spot and it was so sweet to see that. But he was little and he was, mom was ready to go home. And she said, Maddox, let's go. And Maddox said, I want to stay here. And she said, well, why do you want to sleep here? And And he said, because when I go to sleep, I know someone will put a blanket on me. And I think that it just embodies what I think grandchildren need from their grandparents is just to know that we're there with a warm, fuzzy blanket just to wrap them up and hug them through the tough things in life. Sometimes uh, parents, of course, are in the role more of of, um, just instructional and getting them through it when they can turn to a grandparent just for comfort and love and security and and hope for the future. Grandparents are great lessons in hope because we've lived through so many of those things. And they're able, if we're able to, if we share with them, they're able to look at us and say, okay, wait, she made it through that. Wait, she went to college, she did it. Wait, she was married during college and she made it through. You know, all those stories we tell them give them hope for their future. And how is it that grandparents can really be challenged and encouraged to to share 
those stories, especially in a in a time where you've you've got distance that is between people, you've got people that are very busy, and maybe you don't have the opportunity to really sit down and share stories. How can grandparents really get involved in initiating that sort of conversation with busy kids? Exactly. I think, yeah, I think that's a big uh, question there because a lot of grandparents feel like they're interfering with their grandkids' lives when they try to share a story or or let them know. And I've, I've watched as my grandchildren have gotten older, they're more interested in that. Sadie just recently in her last tour, my granddaughter, Sadie Robertson, in her last tour to young people featured my mother opening her show and my mom's 88. And Sadie just wanted to reach back and get some wisdom from her grandmother, her great grandmother. And so the thing with children is you do have to wait for the opportune time and it may be sometime you're driving when you go past something you can say you know what look at that that i remember that was what your great-grandfather did or or tell a story about uh our heritage is indian so that's a great thing to talk to your boys about they love to hear about the indian times and just pull in the legacy that your family has left to the children that you're around. So it is tough in today's world because they've always got a cell phone in their hand, especially if they're old enough. The younger ones are different. But as they get older, they will want to hear more of your life story. I really believe that is true. I've watched that in my my grandkids. Let's talk about the faith component. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, when people think of Duck Dynasty, there is that that whole area of faith, which is front and center in that, not only in the television series, but having having talked to a number of, uh, of members of the family, you know, that's something that they really live out. So obviously there is that faith element that people see on TV. How do you integrate the faith element in this book, Rockstar Grandparent? Uh, but my premise of the book with the songs are rock songs from the 60s and 70s, and I start with those as titles just because I relate to music like that. Uh, I am one of those people who can remember what, when a song came out in the fourth grade, you know. But the faith element is the key to the book because I believe that God designed this. This is a great design from God. To give us this position as grandparents, we see that all through the Bible, how the, the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the family pass down the heritage and say the words that need to be passed down through the generations. And I watch my grandkids now, and it's so precious to watch them say the exact words that my mother says. The, the little phrases that they use during those years that we don't use anymore, things like pretty is as pretty does, things like that. My, my granddaughter, Bella, has always wanted me to write down all those things because they are seeing the value in this heritage, in this faith heritage that's mm-hmm. come down. They've got it on all sides. My grandkids do. But I want to encourage people who don't have that on all sides that you can be the game changer and you can start that legacy right now. And it doesn't take but a couple of generations for that to just be filtered down. My grandparents were the beginning of that faith in our family. And now it's just a a huge family full of faith-filled people. It's just an awesome blessing. Chris Howard here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to the website, Chris, C-H-R-Y-S, Howard.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Josh and Allie Taylor co-authors of the book, Allie's Fight, Beating Cancer, Battling Infertility, and Believing in Miracles. In our recent conversation, they shared about different aspects of their amazing life story 
through cancer and infertility, yet discovering God's faithfulness through it all, now raising three daughters. Here now are Allie and Josh Taylor. We really believe that God had protected my womb. One of the um, verses we really stood on was Psalm 128, and it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your home, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And so that was something we prayed in that doctor's office that day when the doctor told us we didn't have time to preserve my fertility. We just prayed and believed that God would protect me. And so we we believe that would be the case. But after seeing several fertility doctors, they confirmed our worst fears. And they told us that um, the chemotherapy had completely damaged my ability to become pregnant. And so um, we really wrestled with confusion with fear, with wondering, you know, maybe God doesn't want me to be a mom, maybe he doesn't want us to be parents, you know, all those lies that Satan can tell you when something that you have dreamed and felt like God's put on your heart isn't happening. But um, but soon thereafter, God completely directed us to adoption. And, you know, God just does that. You think you, think you have this plan in your mind, and something happens that you feel like is a total— um, a total horrible thing in your plans. It's if your plans have been completely destroyed, but it's because it's leading you to so much better. It's so much more than you could have ever hoped or imagined. And so we always say, or I always say that cancer led us to our babies. Um, that if someone would have told me something good could have happened from cancer when I was going through it, I would have not believed them. But it was like all of a sudden cancer made sense because had we not gone through that, I don't know if we would have um, been led so quickly to the adoption route. So, uh, so yeah, after, after our infertility diagnosis, we, we went straight to adoption. Well, the first child is uh, named Genevieve. And That's then right. not too long after that, hmm, you guys received some good news. That's right. <laughs> to yes, say the least. Yes, we did. We, um, not, Genevieve was nine months old. And I wasn't feeling well. I felt silly for even contemplating taking a pregnancy test because um, it wasn't like we had told pregnancy was unlikely. We were told that it was impossible. And so I took a pregnancy test on a whim, feeling totally silly for even taking it. I forgot about it. I came back to it later after I had exercised and saw two lines on it and actually had to pull the wrapper out of the trash can because I thought, what in the world does two lines mean? And saw that it said pregnant. And I'd love to say I was excited, but I was really confused because I thought this is, this isn't possible. And so I called my doctor, came in for a blood test, did ultrasounds, and learned that I was definitely pregnant <laughs> and uh, with a, a very completely healthy, normal baby. That is so exciting. And at around the same time that this occurred, Josh, you found out or you got a phone call from <laughs> your first child, Genevieve's birth mother. And she had a piece of news as well. She was pregnant. And <laughs> tell right. us about her offer. Well, we uh, what you'll laugh at is, and, and in the book, Allie talks about it a lot. And, and we say it's like we at each step we kept thinking, okay, life's going to be normal. You know, we, we've been married <laughs> for five years, and we thought, hey, we have a normal life. Let's we want to start having kids. And then after cancer, we thought we're going to have a normal life. Let's start having kids. And after the after we were able to adopt Genevieve, we thought, okay, we're gonna have a normal life. And then obviously Allie then comes up pregnant nine months later, and so then a month later, you know, we think again, okay, we'll just we'll have a normal life. And uh, we get the call from Genevieve's birth mother, and she says she's pregnant again, and says, hey, I know I know Allie's pregnant, and I understand this will be a lot, but 
obviously we love you guys. We've seen what you've, you know, what you've walked out with Genevieve, and we wanted to ask, would you adopt this little baby? And so, obviously, as Allie and I talked, we wanted to say yes right then. We did take a couple days and pray about it, though, and uh, obviously our answer there was yes. Josh and Allie Taylor here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website Allie's Fight, that's A-L-Y-S, fight.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's author and podcast host Susie Davis, who related the concept of the book Dear Daughters, Love Letters to the Next Generation, and shared about dynamics of the mother-daughter relationship, as well as the importance of mentoring the next generation. Here now from that conversation is Susie Davis. Well, it kind of started when my kids were in high school, and they, they would invite their friends over, and I'd be making burgers, and I'd look across the counter, and we'd just dive into conversation, and I started... Um, finding that more of them would want to have deeper conversations with me about God, and they started calling me Mama Suze. And then my own girls went off to college, and uh, I just missed them, and I would write little online like nuggets of information or wisdom to them, and I would start start the, the little um, social media blip with Dear Daughters, and then I'd say something to them, and it was to them and their friends, and it just kind of took off, and I started a podcast, and then... Now I've written a book, but it's basically this idea that as older women, we have the opportunity to be spiritual mamas to girls or that, that aren't our own. And so it's, you know, this idea of mentorship or discipleship, but it's kind of in, a, in an organic way, just um, having conversations, not, not working through a Bible study necessarily or having a program, but just this opportunity for you to share your mother heart with people who are other than just your own children. So that's how it started. Let's just talk about some of these principles that you've discovered and put into practice with respect to becoming a spiritual mentor. What are some of the ingredients that ladies can be aware of as far as stepping into that role? Well, first of all, I just want to encourage, if you're an older woman, which you could, you could be an older woman at 35, you can be an older woman <laughs> to a woman who's 25. But this is, you know, it's important, and it's, it's not something, this idea of being a mentor, and it's not something that you have to go to school to learn about it or be a theologian or read a bunch of Bible studies. It's really just about sharing your God story with someone else and encouraging them where they, where they are to, to grow up in God. So I just want to encourage you, that, first of all, you can do this. Second of all, it just can be organic. The girls that I disciple or mentor um, or I think of as my dear daughters, they have my cell phone number. They text me if they want to talk. We talk. If they you know, want to text me a question, we Skype, we FaceTime. But they're just like my own girls. They're just girls that have access to my life, that I'm available to them when they need me. And, you know, sometimes... They'll come over and we'll make bread together, or maybe we'll take a trip to small town Texas and go shopping. But it's just organic, and it doesn't need to be big and intimidating, and it doesn't need to be necessarily even scheduled. It can be, but it just needs to be natural. What are you finding that, as we might say, and again, you you talked about the the concept of an older woman mentoring a younger woman or multiple younger ladies, and of course, that's not necessarily limited by age, so to speak. Uh, An older woman could actually be someone who is younger that is actually mentoring someone who is younger than she is. So there, you know, there obviously are 
our concerns and questions that the younger ladies have these days. What are you hearing back? What are some of the concerns upon the hearts of young women these days as you see it? Well, one of them I think that I've already mentioned is just understanding that whole idea of seeing God as a good father, especially if they've had a poor role model as a father or a father that left the family. Um, that's, that's unfortunately a conversation that I have a lot of times with the girls in my life. But another one is they just think they're just about, like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like many of the millennials I meet with are very concerned about doing the right thing with their life. And they're like, what am I supposed to do with my life? And so that's another question that comes up um, a lot of times. I also, also talk a lot about um, they just loving their bodies. Some of them have had a lot of struggles with accepting the body that they have and loving it and honoring it and taking care of it. So those are the kind of things that I've talked about with the girls that I mentor. And so those are the topics that are rolled into this book. Susie Davis here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to susiedavis.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through the website meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. You can also find The Intersection Podcast in that Media Center, and it's available via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content, including recently added content from the 2019 NRB Convention in California. You can find content from the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House program through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of other apps. Learn more when you go to faithradio.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's actress and author Sherry Rigby. In a visit at Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central in the Exhibit Hall at the 2019 NRB Convention in Anaheim, discussed her book, Beautifully Flawed, Finding Your Radiance in the Imperfections of Your Life, as well as her role in the 2019 Kendrick Brothers film, Overcomer. Here now is Sherry Rigby. What was the message, if you had to describe it, of the book, Beautifully Flawed? What did you really want to get across to people? Well, I think, you know, what I really wanted people to understand is that God is a God of redemption and restoration and preparation. And so when he redeems us, he restores and he prepares us to go out and do the work for the kingdom. And so that's what I really wanted people to see. I wanted to see that he chose me, that he, even though no matter what had gone on in my life, being a teenage mother to being post-abortive, you know, seeing October baby, God could literally take this woman that he chose, give her a story and put her in a platform as long as I said yes for him to use me. And so I really wanted people to say, I can still dream. I can see that God really does take our ashes and exchange them for garland. Look what he's done. Look what he can do in my life. So that was the power of story. You know, something interesting. In fact, I remember a conversation that I was having here at NRB recently, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about second chances and, you know, how, and I think the enemy would want us to believe that that, that there, 
maybe something in our lives that we have done that somehow would disqualify us mm -hmm. from being used by God. Yeah. We recognize the redemption story of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we see that God is, he is the restorer. He is the deliverer. Mm -hmm. He is the God of second chances. And what he wants us to do, as you just said, Sherry, is to say yes That's to it. him and see what he will do. But the enemy would hold, want to hold us back and say, well, you're not, you're not worthy. Yeah. Look at what you've done. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, he, I think he always says you're not qualified, right? You're not qualified um, that, you know, and he's always trying to come back at you and say that your past is too shameful. How can, how can you be used? How can, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that that's why Christ died for us. You know, we know that if there was only one, he would have died for that one. Mm -hmm. And that redemption, and I love in the book of Revelation where it talks about by the blood of the lamb and by the testimony they will come. And I think that's such an incredible thing to remind us as believers that no matter what, it's not about us. It's really about the testimony that God has given us in our lives and how we get to glorify him. And how do we best do that? We do that because he takes ordinary people. He takes ordinary things or things that have happened in our lives and he gets to use them for extraordinary things. And so I just feel I'm, I'm just blessed to be able to share my story. Sherry Rigby joining us today here on the Meeting House on Faith Radio. It's National Religious Broadcasters 2019, the annual convention in Anaheim, California. And this, as you mentioned, you are a, a resident yeah. Of, of California. Mm -hmm. You have a home here. You also have offices, you yep. said, in the, the greater Atlanta area. Yep. So, uh, so kind of the best of both worlds, uh -huh. geographically speaking, as <laughs> you say. And is. you were in Georgia to also recently film a movie called Overcomer. It's the latest from the Kendrick brothers. And yes, Sherry, you have been chosen to play the wife yes. of none other than Alex Kendrick. Mm -hmm. Now you play a character named Amy Harrison. His his character's name is John Harrison. Mm -hmm. He is a coach. Yes. There's a there's a sporting element here. So tell me about the Harrison family, if you will. Well, they're they're fantastic, and I love the story of Overcomer because really, again, it goes back to being an overcomer, right? Yeah. And so um, I get to play Amy Harrison, which is yes, like you said, uh, Alex's wife in the movie, and I'm also a boy mom. I have two boys in the movie, and I'm a boy mom in real life as well. So it just <laughs> wow. all starts to come together. Yeah, it's you, you, art you, imitates you, life, that, imitates art. It whatever. truly yeah. is. My husband also is a coach, but what you get to see is this really incredible family that. Um, you know, they, they really are a good family, but you get to see the different levels of identity issues that they go through. Um, you know, you see Coach uh, John go through, you know, losing his identity, and you see um, him regaining that again. You see a strength that he sees that. You see the son also going through, well, I thought my identity was in this sport when, you know, wait a minute, I need to refocus on Christ. As my character, what I love is that, I get to really remember that I'm a wife. I'm a wife first, that I'm there to support my husband and be that partner and um, really identify with that character. And it was just incredible to play across from Alex. Sherry Rigby here on The Intersection. Her website address is Sherry, S-H-A-R-I, Rigby.com. The site for the movie Overcomer is OvercomerMovie.com. 
Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Mary Beth Waddell, Senior Legislative Assistant for Family Research Council, who provided analysis and commentary regarding the so-called Equality Act, a legislative priority for many in the U.S. House of Representatives that would rewrite civil rights laws on sexual orientation and gender identity and pose a threat to religious freedom. Here now from that recent conversation is Mary Beth Waddell. This bill is a massive overhaul of our federal civil rights framework. Um, It makes about 60 different amendments to about 10 different laws um, and would mandate, as you say, special privileges in the private sector uh, and public for sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, It's not about equality or protections. Everyone deserves respect and dignity and already has equal protections under the law. This is not about uh, discrimination or bigotry. This is about enforcing an ideology and requiring special privileges, regardless of who you are or, you know, what your beliefs may be. It's, no, this is required um, that you must align with this ideology. Well, we think in civil rights law of protections for various classes of people, for instance, age, race, and national origin, as you point out, or religion, which is protected under the Constitution. Now, one of the insidious points that uh, talking points that those in favor of this legislation have made has to do with uh, somehow people are being discriminated against based on sexual orientation or gender identity and and that's give us an idea how much of this is going on that this bill is supposedly designed to protect people against Right. A lot of the, you know, talking points that they would like to try and come up with to say, oh, there's discrimination. Oh, there's bigotry. Um, It's really not like this massive insidious discrimination like you saw in the past with race. You know, that's why you have, um, you know, the entire left, uh, pretty much, you know, coming out in full force to support this, other than, you know, like radical feminists. We actually uh, are, you know, have been partnering with radical feminists who understand the harms of this bill to women and to girls. Um, And so, you know, they're on board with us. But but aside from that, you're seeing a lot of people who are actually uh, like, no, we need to protect these people. And as you said, there are already all of these ordinances. um, So there really isn't you know, this sort of invidious or insidious discrimination that's been going on, um, this would actually sort of cause discrimination, uh, this bill would. Talk about, if you would, and you've alluded to it already, but the how religious freedom would be trampled upon by the passage of the Equality Act. Absolutely. So RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, is a bill that was passed in the 90s, signed by President Clinton, uh, with just about unanimous support um, from many of the actual Democratic leadership now, and yet they have exempted uh, RIFRA from this bill, meaning that RIFRA would not apply. And what's so just startling about that is RIFRA is a balancing test. It does not say that, uh, oh, we, you know, religious uh, practices um, can't be 
you know, burdened or infringed upon. What it says is that if the government is going to burden a religious practice, it has to make sure that it's doing that uh, towards a compelling government interest Mm -hmm. and in the most narrowly tailored way. So it's a balancing test where the religious practice may not win every time, but it's just making sure that uh, government isn't overstepping its bounds. And so that what this bill has done is said, no, we're going to overstep our bounds. We're putting, you know, weight on the scales of that balancing test and saying, no, religious practice does not matter. Um, we are, you know, going to require acquiescence, you know, that there, there's no more balancing test. You know, we, we don't care uh, in what ways we may be burdening religious practice. Mary Beth Waddell here on The Intersection. The Family Research Council website is frc.org. Finally, here on this edition of The Intersection, it's Patty Garibay, founder of American Heritage Girls, a Christ-centered girls organization featuring a variety of activities and character development. She visited Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention to provide information on the background and concept of the organization. From that conversation, this is Patty Garibay. Almost 25 years later, after the founding of American Heritage Girls, we see a culture that in many ways has really been transformed and not in a positive sense. Mm-hmm. We see the whole area of boys and girls organizations that has changed mm-hmm. with the Boy Scouts making those strides away from the values upon which the organization had been founded on and existed with for so many years. And now you have the the inroads of homosexual members and homosexual leaders and even the Boy Scouts saying that they will admit female members. Mm. The Girl Scouts, probably even my perception is longer than the Boy Scouts, have been on a more liberalized trajectory as far as the philosophy they embrace. I mean, obviously it's something that so many Christians are grieved by. It does obviously provide a great opportunity for American Heritage Girls. For the people that are, you know, they appreciate some of the positive aspects of, as we might say, scouting that type of activity. What does American Heritage Girls offer? Oh, wow. We offer all the best of scouting, you know. We offer the outdoor experiences, which allow the girls to really stretch themselves and to learn a little bit about self-reliance, not not independent of God, but actually able to understand that they've got great power because of the Holy Spirit within them, not because of a, a silly little girl power that's been addressed to them, you know, assigned to them. The girls also learn to serve in their community. They learn to earn badges and set goals that will help them to understand the life skills that they need to really be a successful woman and also to understand God's passion, what what he's wired them to do, which is really phenomenal. In addition to that, the girls learn more about their faith and how important that is, that it's not just a Sunday school deal. It's an everyday doing life deal. And that is really transforming to the girls. Well, something else that comes to mind, Patty, it's called American Heritage Girls. You know, in some segments of our society today, having an organization that is centered around, yes, one of the two genders that God has created, having a girls organization in an age of gender confusion, 
I see it as very, very important. Some may see that as as being old-fashioned or not enlightened, as you might say. What can a girl learn about what it means to be a woman and to embrace her femininity and her God-given femininity as a result of being part of this organization. First, I'd really like to address that old-fashioned. Yeah, it's old-fashioned. You know, it goes all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to Genesis. There you go. (laughs) And absolutely, American Heritage Girls is dedicated to an all-girl environment. You know, there's been a lot of talk when the Boy Scouts brought the girls in. Are Are you worried about that? Are you worried about membership? No, we are doing exactly what God has called us to do, and we will continue to stand on that truth. In regards to femininity and celebrating girls, that's what HG is all about. We serve girls ages 5 to 18 all in the same troop. The older girls mentor the younger girls. The younger girls look up to those older girls. It's a Titus two moment every week when the girls get together. It is a celebration of who you are and whose you are. And the identity in Christ that the girls discover is incredible. It brings a shy, almost larva-like girl into a beautiful monarch by the end of this program. There's truly metamorphosis that occurs. What ages? are are the uh, membership comprised of? Ages 5 to 18. So sisters, all in one family, can be in the same troop. And mama can be their leader. Daddy can be their leader. It's a beautiful thing when the whole family comes together for this purpose. This is an investment, an intentional parenting investment that not only reaps current rewards, but eternal rewards. Patty Garibay here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to AmericanHeritageGirls.org. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. The podcast is available in the Media Center as well as through iTunes. When you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs, One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content, including recently added content from the 2019 NRB Convention in California. Content from The Meeting House program and The Intersection podcast can be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of other apps. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org or meetinghouseonline.info. Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.